Part 1 of The Edge of the Knife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Giulio Marchini. The Edge of the Knife by H. Bean Piper. Part 1. Chalmers stopped talking abruptly, warned by the sudden attentiveness of the class in front of him. They were all staring. Even Gulick in the fourth row was almost half awake. Then one of them, taking his silence as an invitation to questions, found his voice. You say Halid ibn Hussein's been assassinated? he asked incredulously. When did that happen? In 1973, at Basra. There was a touch of impatience in his voice. Surely they ought to know that much. He was shot while leaving the parliament building by an Egyptian Arab named Mohammed Nareed, with an old U.S. Army M3 submachine gun. Nareed killed two of Halid's guards and wounded another before he was overpowered. He was lynched on the spot by the crowd, stoned to death. Ostensibly, he and his accomplices were religious fanatics. However, there can be no doubt whatever that the murder was inspired at least indirectly by the Eastern Axis. The class stirred like a grain field in the wind. Some looked at him in blank amazement. Some were hastily averting faces, red with poorly suppressed laughter. For a moment he was puzzled, and then realization hit him like a blow in the stomach pit. He'd forgotten. Again. I didn't see anything in the papers about it, one boy was asking. The newscast last evening said Halid was in Ankara, talking to the president of Turkey, another offered. Professor Chalmers, would you tell us just what effect of Halid's death had upon the Islamic Caliphate and the Middle Eastern situation in general? A third voice asked, with exaggerated solemnity. That was Kendrick, the class humorist. The question was pure baiting. Well, Mr. Kendrick... I'm afraid it's a little too early to assess the full results of a thing like that, if they can ever be fully assessed. For instance, who, in 1911, could have predicted all the consequences of the pistol shot at Sarajevo? Who, even today, can guess what the history of the world would have been had Zangara not missed Franklin Roosevelt in 1932? There's always that if. He went on talking safe generalities as he glanced covertly at his watch. Only five minutes to the end of the period. Thank heaven he hadn't made that slip at the beginning of the class. For instance, tomorrow, when we take up the events in India, from the First World War to the end of the British rule, we will be largely concerned with another victim of the assassin's bullet, Mohandas K. Gandhi. You may ask yourselves, then, by how much that bullet altered the history of the Indian subcontinent. A word of warning, however. The events we will be discussing will be either contemporary with or prior to what was discussed today. I hope that you're all keeping your notes properly dated. It's always easy to become confused in matters of chronology. You wish too late that he hadn't said that. It pointed up the very thing he was trying to play down and raised a general laugh. As soon as the room was empty, he hastened to his desk, snatched pencil and notepad. This had been a bad one. 
the worst yet. He hadn't heard the end of it by any means. He couldn't waste thought on that now, though. This was all new and important. It had welled up suddenly and without warning into his conscious mind, and he must get it down in notes before the memory, even mentally, he always put that word into quotes, was lost. He was still scribbling furiously when the instructor who would use the room for the next period entered, followed by a few of his students. Chalmers finished, crammed the notes into his pocket, and went out into the hall. Most of his own modern history four class had left the building and were on their way across the campus for science classes. A few, however, were joining groups for other classes here in Prescott Hall, and in every group they were the center of interest. Sometimes, when they saw him, they would fall silent until he had passed. Sometimes they didn't, and he caught snatches of conversation. Oh, brother, did Chalmers really blow his jets this time? One voice was saying. Betty won't be around next year. Another quartet, with their heads together, were talking more seriously. Well, I'm not majoring in history. Myself, I think it's an outrage that some people's diplomas are going to depend on grades given by a lunatic. Mine will, and I'm not going to stand for it. My old man's president of the Alumni Association and... That was something he had not thought of before. It gave him an ugly start. He was still thinking about it as he turned into the side hall to the history department offices and entered the cubicle he shared with a colleague. The colleague, old Potguider, medieval history, was emerging in a rush. Short, rotund, gray-bearded, his arms full of books and papers, oblivious as usual, to anything that had happened since the Battle of Bosworth or the fall of Constantinople. Chalmers stepped quickly out of his way and entered behind him. Marjorie Fenner, the secretary they also shared, was tidying up the old man's desk. Good morning, Dr. Chalmers. She looked at him keenly for a moment. They gave you a bad time again in modern four? Good Lord, did he show it that plainly? In any case, it was no use trying to kid Marjorie. She'd hear the whole story before the end of the day. Gave myself a bad time. Marjorie, still fussing with Potguider's desk, was about to say something in reply. Instead, she exclaimed in exasperation, Oh, that man! He's forgotten his notes again! She gathered some papers from Potguider's desk, rushing across the room and out the door with them. For a while, he sat motionless, the books and notes for general European history, too, untouched in front of him. This was going to raise hell. It hadn't been the first slip he'd made, either. That thought kept recurring to him. There had been the time when he had alluded to the colonies on Mars and Venus. There had been the time he'd mentioned the secession of Canada from the British Commonwealth, and the time he'd called the UN the Terran Federation, and the time he tried to get a copy of Franchard's Rise and Decline of the System States, which wouldn't be published until the 28th century, out of the college library. None of those had drawn much comment, beyond a few student jokes about the history professor who lived in the future, instead of the past. 
Now, however, they'd all be remembered, raked up, exaggerated, and added to what had happened this morning. He sighed, and sat down at Marjorie's typewriter, and began transcribing his notes. Assassination of Khalid ibn Hussein, the pro-Western leader of the newly formed Islamic Caliphate, period of anarchy in the Middle East, interfactional power struggles, Turkish intervention. He wondered how long that would last. Khalid's son, Talal ibn Khalid, was at school in England when his father was, would be, killed. He would return and eventually take his father's place, in time to bring the Caliphate into the Terran Federation when the general war came. There were some notes on that already. The war would result from an attempt by the Indian communists to seize East Pakistan. The trouble was that he so seldom remembered an exact date. His memory of the year of Halid's assassination was an exception. 1973. Why, that was this year. He looked at the calendar. October 16, 1973. At the very most, the Arab statesmen had two and a half months to live. Would there be any possible way in which he could give a credible warning? He doubted. Even if there were, he questioned whether he should, for that matter, whether he could interfere. He always lunched at the faculty club. Today was no time to call attention to himself by breaking an established routine. As he entered, trying to avoid either a furtive slink or a chip-on-a-shoulder swagger, the crowd in the lobby stopped talking abruptly, then began again on an obviously changed subject. The word had gotten around, apparently. Handley, the head of the Latin department, greeted him with a distantly polite nod. Pompous old owl regarded himself, for some reason, as a sort of unofficial dean of the faculty, probably didn't want to be seen fraternizing with controversial characters. One of the younger men, with a thin face and a mop of unruly hair, advanced to meet him as he came in, as cordial as Handley was remote. Oh, hello, Ed, he greeted, clapping a hand on Chalmers' shoulder. I was hoping I'd run into you. Can you have dinner with us this evening? He was sincere. Well, thanks, Leonard. I'd like to, but I have a lot of work. Could you give me a rain check? Oh, surely. My wife was wishing you'd come around, but I know how it is. Some other evening? Yes, indeed. He guided Fitch toward the dining room door and nodded toward a table. This doesn't look too crowded. Let's sit here. After lunch, he stopped in at his office. Marjorie Fenner was there, taking dictation from Potguider. She nodded to him as he entered, but she had no summons to the president's offices. The summons was waiting for him the next morning, when he entered the office after Modern History 4, a few minutes past ten. Dr. Whitburn just phoned, Marjorie said. He'd like to see you as soon as you have a vacant period. Which means right away, I shan't keep him waiting. She started to say something, swallowed it, and then asked if he needed anything 
typed up for General European too. No, I have everything ready. He pocketed the pipe he had filled on entering and went out. The president of Blindleet College sat hunched forward at his desk. He had rounded shoulders and round pudge fists and a round bald head. He seemed to be expecting his visitor to stand at attention in front of him. Chalmers got the pipe out of his pocket, sat down in the desk-side chair, and snapped his lighter. "'Good morning, Dr. Whitburn,' he said very pleasantly. Whitburn's scowl deepened. "'I hope I don't have to tell you why I wanted to see you,' he began. "'I have an idea,' Chalmers puffed until the pipe was drawing satisfactorily. "'It might help you get started if you did, though.' I don't suppose at that, that you realize the full effect of your performance yesterday morning in modern history for, Whitburn replied. I don't suppose you know, for instance, that I had to intervene at the last moment and suppress an editorial in the black and green, derisively critical of you and your teaching methods, and by implication of the administration of this college. You didn't hear about that, did you? Now, living as you do in the future, you wouldn't. If the students who it did, the black and green, are dissatisfied with anything here, I'd imagined they ought to say so, Chalmers commented. Isn't that what they teach in the journalism classes, that the purpose of journalism is to speak for the dissatisfied? Why make an exception? I should think you'd be grateful to me for trying to keep your behavior from being made a subject of public ridicule among your students. Why, this editorial which I suppressed actually went so far as to question your sanity. I suppose it might have sounded a good deal like that to them. Of course, I have been preoccupied lately with an imaginative projection of present trends into the future. Oh, quite freely admit that I should have kept my extracurricular work separate from my class and lecture, but there is no excuse, even if I were sure it were true. What you did while engaged in the serious teaching of history was to indulge in a farago of nonsense, obvious as such to any child, and damage not only your own standing with your class, but the standing of Blandley College as well. Dr. Chalmers, if this were the first incident of the kind, it would be bad enough, but it isn't. You've done things like that before, and I've warned you before. I assumed then that you were merely showing the effects of overwork, and I offered you a vacation which you refused to take. Well, this is the limit. I'm compelled to request your immediate resignation. Chalmers laughed. A moment ago you accused me of living in the future. It seems you're living in the past. Evidently, you haven't heard about the Higher Education Faculty Tenure Act of 1963, or such things as tenure contracts. Well, for your information, I have one. You signed it yourself, in case you've forgotten. If you want my resignation, you'll have to show cause. A court of law. Why, my contract should be voided. Now, I don't think a slip of tongue is a reason for voiding a contract that any court would accept. Whitburn's face reddened. You don't, don't you? Well, maybe it isn't, but insanity is. 
it's a very good reason for voiding a contract voidable on grounds of unfitness or incapacity to teach he had been expecting and mentally shrinking from just that now that it was out however he felt relieved he gave another short laugh you're willing to go into open court covered by reporters from papers you can't control as you do this student sheet here and testify that for the past twelve years you've had an insane professor on your faculty you're you're trying to blackmail me whitburn demanded half rising it isn't blackmail to tell a man that a bomb he's going to throw will blow up in his hand chalmers glanced quickly at his watch now dr whitburn if you have nothing further to discuss i have a class in a few minutes if you'll excuse me he rose for a moment he stood facing whitburn when the college president said nothing he inclined his head politely and turned going out whitburn's secretary gave the impression of having seated herself hastily at her desk the second before he opened the door she watched him round-eyed as he went out into the hall he reached his own office ten minutes before time for the next class Marjorie was typing something for Potguider. He merely nodded to her and picked up the phone. The call would have to go through the school exchange, and he had a suspicion that Whitburn kept a check on outside calls. That might not hurt any, he thought, dialing a number. Attorney Wiles' office, the girl who answered said. Edward Chalmers, is Mr. Wiles in? She'd find out. He was, he answered in a few seconds. Hello, Stanley. Ed Chalmers. I think I'm going to need a little help. I'm having some trouble with President Whitburn here at the college, a matter involving the validity of my tenure contract. I don't want to go into it over this line. Have you anything on for lunch? No, I haven't. When and where? the lawyer asked. He thought for a moment. Nowhere too close to the campus but not too far away. How about the Continental? Fontaine Blue Room, say, 1215? That'll be all right. Be seeing you. Marjorie looked at him curiously as he gathered up the things he needed for the next class. End of Part 1 Recording by Giulio Marchini The Edge of the Knife by H. Bean Piper